mask off and you put the mask on, what little bit of hair you have left gets messed up. Oh well, that's life. Maybe I should be like my son and just shave it all off. I, I guess I'm too vain for that though. But anyway, all right. Again, we want to thank you for joining us today. It's, a, it's, it's always a blessing to be in the house of God. It's such a privilege for us to gather together as a, a family, and that's really what we are here at Calvary Baptist Church. We are a family. We love one another. We serve one another, and we worship together. What a blessing that is. We're going to continue our study in the attributes of God, and we're going to look at an attribute this morning that, well, can we say that it's a coveted attribute? Okay, if, if we should ever covet an attribute, maybe this is the one. Because it's not just about me, it's not just about me becoming more like Christ, or you becoming more like Christ as you uh, embody this attribute, but it's also for the benefit of others. In fact, we might say that this is an attribute that we wish others would have more of. Okay? Sometimes we've prayed for this attribute, but in our praying for this attribute, we're like, come on, God, give it to me, hurry up, I need it. You know what we're talking about. We're talking about the attribute of patience. No surprises this morning, it's right up there on the screen. It's the title of our message, The Patience of God. Have you prayed it before? Lord, give me patience, but give it to me now. In all seriousness, though, patience is something that most of us could do with a bit more of. As parents, we think our kids could do better in the area of patience. As children, we think our parents could do better in the area of patience. Why is there more laughter about that than there is about the kids? Maybe as you get older, we realize we learn something and we understand. Truth be told... We all need more patience. As patient as we might be, we could do with more patience. Here's another truth. God never runs out of patience. And he is a great example to look at, to see how we can improve our patience. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we could be patient like God is patient? But then we have to ask the question, well, how is God patient? Really, we understand the fact that he's patient, but in what ways is he patient? And that's what we're going to spend our time this morning looking and figuring out and seeing if we can pattern our patience after the way God is patient. We're going to read several verses this morning, so I'm going to need your help. And on the top of your note page, there are verses. So look down through there, and we're going to read those verses together. I'm going to ask you to come up to a microphone. Uh, Maybe as you come up, if you're the first one up, or if you're sitting near the microphone, you can just move it out a little bit more into the aisle. Um, The microphones are on. They're corded microphones, so you don't have to mess with them. You just have to speak into the microphone, okay? Uh, So as you read, read loud, read clearly, uh, and read so others can hear you and follow along. Uh, They will be up on the screen, so I'd ask that you read from what's on the screen so everybody is hearing and seeing the same thing. Um, Before we get started, let's talk about this word patient, It's found in the Old Testament and it's found in the New Testament. The Old Testament, as you know, primarily is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. The Hebrew word for patience, you're going to love this, okay? The Hebrew word for patience is erech. Now think about that just for a little bit. It's erech. The Greek word is makrothumio. Okay? We can have a little bit more fun with a wreck this morning, but we're going we're gonna to think about these words and what they mean. So I brought some things or I put some things together that might help us understand the meaning of these words a little bit more. Um, we're first going to talk about the Hebrew word, a wreck. A wreck. Now, when I was growing up, we had these great toys. I, and I wonder, I don't know why they don't have these kinds of toys anymore. Um, but we had these great toys. Anybody remember SSP racers? Come on. All right. Now, here's the thing. If I tell you what they were like, you might, because I, I didn't remember SSP either. But they had a ripcord. And they had a flywheel in the middle of it. And you put the ripcord down through the center of the racer. And you pulled it. And it goes, 
this is a, and it would, it would run down the hallway, run down the road. But they came out with a second line of SSP racers. The second line was crash up cars. Maybe you remember this commercial. Go ahead, Ryan. I think the commercial is the next slide for us. It's by Kenner, by the way. Kenner made great toys. Right here, has everything you need. Did you, uh, you never played with those? Come on, you, you, your childhood wasn't complete if you didn't have SSP racers and, and crash them up race cars. I mean, you could, you could smash them together and the pieces would go poosh. If you could find them all, you could put them back together. That's kind of what happens when we lack patience. When we lack patience in our life, what do we have? We have a wreck. We have trouble. We have trials. We have tribulations. We want to make sure that that's not a part of our Christian life. We want to strive that in our Christian life we have as few wrecks as possible. One of the favorite things that my wife likes about racing is the accidents. (laughs) Truth, truth. Okay, that's truth. Now, listen, it's so true that in our last pastorate, we had a guy and his wife that were very much into racing in, in, in Millerton, Mil- Millerton, whatever it was called, Millerton, I guess, um, Middle, Middletown, that's what it was, Mid- Middletown, um, and they were, they were really into the racing, they were on the board of the racetrack, and so um, Ray came to Barb and he says, uh, I-, I got tickets for us to go to the races, and the, the build-up to the race is your favorite part. It's the demolition derby. So we went and we watched. We had a great time. Um, But you know what? Those wrecks, they're okay. But the wrecks that happen in our life spiritually, they cause great damage, great harm, great trauma. We want to strive as believers to be more patient, to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, um, you might be wondering, what's going on behind you, Pastor? Why do you have all that stuff set up over here? Well, you know, I like to have illustrations that are good, long-lasting, memory-building illustrations, okay? So I brought something with me this morning. Um, this is very, very South African. And in fact, the timing is almost perfect, okay? Because every morning in South Africa, at 11 o'clock, it's tea time. No joke, you could go into the bank, okay? And at 11 o'clock... There would be a tea lady. She would come around and she would serve tea to the tellers and everybody working in the bank. Not to you as a patron, but to everybody that worked in the bank. She came around and she, she served tea to them. Tea is so important in South Africa that during cricket matches, they stop the match and they serve tea to the players. Okay? Now, it doesn't matter if it's a five-day match or if it's a one-day match. They stop the match, and they serve tea to the players. Now, the thing about tea, the water has to boil in order to make good tea. When we, when we were in at Camp Manitoumi, Barb's dad got this thing. He was so proud of it. It was this thing that kept the water hot. It was a, like a hot water tank. You know, hot water tanks on the wall are not uncommon now, but back then they weren't all that common. And he said, it gets up to, and he told us the temperature, and I said, that's not good enough. He looked at me, what do you mean it's not good enough? I said, it doesn't boil the water. He said, well, it's close enough. I said, well, maybe if you're a coffee drinker, it's close enough. But if you're a tea drinker, it's got to boil. 212 degrees. 100 if you're in Celsius mode. Okay? So we, 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 you say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Why tea is so important? Well, that Greek word. Remember what I told you that Greek word was? Macromutheo. Okay? It means to boil. It means to boil. And that's why I started the kettle so we can have boiled water. You have to have boiled water. Now, as we're waiting, you see, it takes patience to boil water. 
We wanted the, I wanted the water to boil like two minutes ago, and it hasn't boiled yet. It's starting to boil, but you got to make sure that it reaches a peak boil if you're going to have good tea. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, I, I brought enough. I didn't bring enough for everybody. Sorry, you can pretend that you work in the bank this morning, all right? I have, I have enough for two people to have tea this morning. And, and this is not just any ordinary average tea. This is, you can't get this tea in America. Okay? This is called Joko tea. It's the best tea that you can get. comes from Africa. Any takers on a cup of tea. You see, our water's boiled. We're ready to have tea. Amanda and Cindy. All right. I also have milk and sugar. Because in South Africa, if you're going to have tea, you have it with milk and two sugars. That's just the way you do it. Okay, very British of them, by the way. So, now, the, the hard part has already taken place. You got the boiled water, we're pouring in. Now we just have to be a little more patient. We have to let the water, or we have to let the tea steep. I'm going to leave that up to you, though. Okay, I'm going to let you take, since you're sitting in the same row, um, I'm not even going to pay attention to whether you put milk and sugar in it or not. I'll let you have tea your way. So, Carl, you can serve your wife. Just let her, let her tell you when it's ready. It usually takes about three minutes, though. A perfect cup of tea is brewed in three to four minutes, okay? So, we'll let them decide how good that tea is. I- I'm telling you, though, you got all the joko you're going to get. Because I have a limited supply of it. All right? So enjoy it. And, and think about the fact that to boil, we, we want tea water to boil quickly, but patience is slow to boil. Slow. Takes a long time. We have a fancy urn, we're going to call it, downstairs in the basement. In fact, I donated it to the church. It holds about, I don't know, it's about this big, holds, I don't know, probably 20, 25 cups of water. Pastor, why'd you donate it? It doesn't boil fast enough. That's why I donated it. And it doesn't, it's supposed to keep the water at a particular temperature, but it doesn't keep the water boiling. So if you don't pour your tea straight off the boil, then the tea's not as good as it could be. You're getting the idea that I'm really kind of particular when it comes to my tea? A tea snob. Okay, Um, you could call me that. But the key is boiling the water. The key for you and I as Christians, slow to boil. Slow to get agitated. When that's the truth, it means we're patient. Okay, are the readers ready to jump and run to the mic? No, we're not going to run in the the worship center. Bad bad suggestion. Um, Are you ready to patiently walk to the microphones? All right, let's start with 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. It's up on the screen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Thank you, Colleen. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now you'll say, Pastor, I didn't see the word patient in there. Well, yes, you really did. It's long-suffering. The word long-suffering means to be slow to boil. It takes time to get agitated. Joel chapter 2, verse 13. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. This is that Hebrew word, erech. Okay, and it means exactly that, what it says in the verse there, slow to anger. Now, sometimes we're very quick to anger, but God wants us to be slow to anger. That's the way God is. Caleb, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Part of the fruit of the Spirit, part of the character of God. Love, joy, peace, and what's that next word? 
long suffering. It means to suffer long before you respond or react to the situation. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 8, Chloe. The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. All right. Again, we see that Hebrew word, slow to anger. Here we see the psalmist testifying to this trait of God, that he has experienced it in his own life. God is slow to anger. Kelly, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. All right, so we see these traits bound together. Gives us the idea that God doesn't give up on us. He is merciful, he's gracious, he's long-suffering, and he abounds in goodness and truth. Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. Levi, for me, please. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant to mercy, in mercy, forgiving inquietly iniquity and transitioning, transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the inquietly iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Thanks, Levi. That was a tough one. But thanks for getting through that. Thanks, Dad, for helping him out. Again, we see this idea of the fact that God is slow to anger. He's forgiving. But get this, he will not excuse the guilty or their sins. He holds them accountable. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 3. The Lord is slowly to... Slow to... Anger. Anger and great power and will not acquit acquit the wick the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm he I mean not he and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Thank you, Caleb. This time his patience is tied to his strength and his power, along again with holding sinners accountable. Jim, over here, Romans chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Again, another statement of the character of God. God is patient, and the result of God's patience is you and I having hope. And it's not a wishful thinking. It's a certainty, this hope that we have. Sam, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. He didn't reach, we didn't read the, um, the verse 5. Now may the God... Who, firm, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited the days of Noah while the ark of the being prepared waited yeah ark of the being prepared in which a few a what that is eight souls were saved through water an example of God's patience okay he waited for the ark to be finished he could have sent the flood he could have sent the rain anytime but he waited till the ark to be finished Now we're going to jump to uh, a different idea of patience. Those are all traits and characteristics of God. As we read the next three verses uh, or three three sections, we're going to see that these are ways that you and I can incorporate God's patience into our lives or how we're to exhibit the patience of God. Cindy, go ahead. Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope? For what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We hope as the children of God because we're saved, we're born again. And we now, because of that hope, wait patiently for the results of that hope. I am sure that there are people in Kansas City and people in Tampa Bay who would like the clock to go very quickly till about 6 o'clock tonight so they could watch the game and know the results of the game and be able to say, hey, our team is the champion. But they can't speed the clock up. 
They have to wait patiently. The difference is they're, they're hoping that their team wins. Their hope isn't really based on much of anything. And on any given day, any given team can beat another team. Our hope, though, is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So we can wait patiently knowing the end results. Scott, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Sorry, make that Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul is describing the worthy walk of the believer, of the child of God. The kind of patience God has is one of the things that is worthy of the calling of the child of God. You and I should be showing our worthy walk by being patient to others. And then, Karen, if you would, finish up with Lamentation chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good that one should wait quietly. Hope and wait quietly. Here's the result of one's waiting on the Lord. There's a promise for those who wait on the Lord. And that is the fulfillment of his promise in their lives. What a blessing it is to know the patience of our great God. And as we continue this morning, I want us to dive into a passage of scripture that reminds us of the patience of God, especially in regard to salvation and future. We're actually going to look at several different passages. By the way, how's the tea? All right. Thanks, Cindy. Um, there's a there's a few brands that you can get in the States that are, you know, like if, if you can find Thai food tea, that's a British tea, that's pretty good. PG Tips, you can get it at Walmart, but it's expensive. Um, that's a British tea as well. Um, but anyway, enjoy the Joko and, and, and the patience that it took for the water to boil. All right. So as we think about this concept of patience, we think about it in regard to circumstances, don't we? For example, when we go to the DMV, well, sorry, when we used to go to the DMV, you can't go to the DMV anymore without, uh, without an appointment. Um, but when we used to go to the DMV to get something sorted out that we had to have sorted out to drive our car, uh, is it ever a two or three minute trip? Almost never, okay? Um, so you go and you stand in line and, and you stand in that line, sometimes that's a five or ten minute line, uh, all, and you get to that first person and they tell you what forms you need. And then they say, now you need to go to the other line. Now that line, that's sometimes a 20, 30, 40 hour wait. Okay, no joke. Um, you have to wait in that line for a long time. And oftentimes people don't exhibit patience in those lines. I've told you stories before about standing in the line at the home affairs office in South Africa. If you think DMV is bad, home affairs, I used to plan a day to go to home affairs. In fact, I justified buying my first, Ben will get a kick out of this, a a Palm Pilot, okay? You had one. Uh, I I justified buying that for those kinds of days because you were there all day. And I didn't want to waste my whole day standing in the line at home affairs. So I would be working on sermons. I would be writing letters. I would do whatever. on my little palm pilot waiting and waiting. We often equate patience or the lack thereof with waiting on our circumstances. That's really not the patience that God exhibits God doesn't think of patience in regard to circumstance. He doesn't exhibit patience in regard to our circumstances. Oftentimes, the people at home affairs or sometimes the people in the DMV offices are the objects of our scorn. Man, you sure, why don't you hire another person to work here? Well, you want the cost of your license to go up again? You wait patiently. Okay, so as we understand this idea of patience, maybe you're working on a tool. Nick, you can probably identify with this. You're right in the, the most important, you got your hands up over your head, you're trying to drill that, you're trying to drive that screw in, and all of a sudden you pull the trigger and there's no power left in the drill. And you're like, man, this is the worst time. 
for this drill battery to go flat, to, to run out of energy. And, and we lose our patience. And, and we say, I should have bought a better, yeah, a bigger battery, a better tool, whatever. And, and we, we don't necessarily have our patience there. Perhaps you can identify with these things where we have lack of patience. Or perhaps uh, you say, well, it's no big deal. I'll just move on to the next thing. Or I'll go get my other battery that's in the charger. Hopefully you put it in the charger before your other one ran out of juice. All right? Um, But you say, no big deal. I'll just persevere through it. And you know what? Uh, We'll move on. And life will be okay. We've demonstrated patience in regard to the things or the circumstances. Let me tell you the thing about God's patience. David Hawking said this. He says, when we speak the patience of God, when we speak about the patience of God, we're not talking about enduring hard times. We're talking about being long-suffering toward people. That's the key. We want to be long-suffering toward people. That's where patience really counts. When we're treating people with patience the way God treats people with patience. Now, as we think about God and his attribute of patience, let's, take, let's make some observations from various scripture texts. First of all, I want to give you the observation. God's patience is evidenced by being slow to anger. God's patience is evident by by being slow to anger. Many of the verses that we read earlier spoke of the fact that God is slow to anger. Um, Let me say that when God demonstrates his anger, though, because God does demonstrate his anger. Let's, Let's not fool ourselves into saying he doesn't. But when God does demonstrate his anger, let me say that it's always justified and it's always done in righteousness. Why? Because he's patient. You and I, when our patience runs out, we tend to react in a way that is not righteous and not, and not justified. But God is always righteous in his demonstration of anger. You know, there's a great example of that. When Jesus went into Jerusalem and he discovered the money changers in the temple. We talked about this in our study on Christology on a Sunday night. What did Jesus do? He made a whip, he turned over the, temple, or he turned over the tables, and he threw the money changers out of the temple. He didn't do that because they were, had their bills all switched around and they weren't keeping good track of the money. He didn't do that because they were, um, you know, they were not of the right company. He did that because they were disobeying the word of God. He was, he was mad and righteously so. He was angered because they had turned the house of worship into a place of business. And he said, this ought not to be so. So he turned over the tables and he drove out the sinners. He drove out the money changers. But it was done in righteousness. Can I say this? We should be thankful and very glad that God doesn't pour out his anger on us on a regular basis. Let's see about God's anger. God shows his patience regardless of what we deserve. God shows his patience to you and I and to mankind regardless of what we deserve. Go back with me to the book or go with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Uh, We want to take a look at chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. In chapter 8, we read read the fact that Ezra read from the book of the law. In chapter 9, the priests lead the people in worship. And we get to verses 16 and 17, and we see in their worship, the priests reminded the worshipers of their history, but more importantly, we see that the, the priests reminded the worshipers of the fact that God is a patient God. God puts up with his children. Listen to how Nehemiah records their words. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, we see, But they and our fathers acted proudly. Who's that? The children of Israel, when God was leading them up out of the, the wilderness into the land that he had promised, with that, promised them. But then they and our fathers acted proudly. They hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. They're talking to God because that's who they're worshiping. Verse 17 says, They, our fathers, refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. That's not good behavior, is it? That's not thinking about who God is and all that God had done for them up until that point. You see, we're going to learn something here. If we're going to be patient, we need to be mindful. We need to be thinking about the amazing God that has saved us and given us the privilege of serving him. 
When we think about those things, it's easier for us to put patience into practice. Nehemiah, the, or the priest in this chapter says, but you are God. They forgot about their God, but you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. You see, the people of Nehemiah's ancestry, the Jews of that day, were not patient. They were not following after God. They were actually displaying a disregard for who God was, but the priests reminded the people that God is a faithful God. God is a God who pardons, a God who is gracious, and a God who is patient. Even though they didn't deserve his patience, God was patient. Now, listen, children, don't go around saying to your, patient, your parents, you need to be patient regardless of my behavior. It doesn't work. Okay, they're going to be responsible to God and discipline you as you need to be. And you need to take that discipline. But as believers, when we're working with other people, unbelievers sometimes, and we're tempted to get very frustrated, very upset with them because of their reactions and their responses. And and most importantly, because they aren't responding to the gospel that we're sharing to them. And we get frustrated. Remember, God is patient. We should be patient as well. God's patience, we see, also reminds us of other attributes. As we think of the life of David, whether he was king or before he was king, it's safe to say that David had enemies. Would you agree with that? David had enemies. You better believe he had enemies. He had enemies in his own family. His brothers didn't like him. He had enemies when he became king and even before he became king because he was such a a valiant warrior. He had enemies in the nations around him. Even after he became king, he had enemies. Again, from within his own family, he had enemies. So it's safe to say that David had enemies and his enemies were numerous. And more than once, David speaks of God's patience to him and others. And when he talks about God's patience, he is reminded of several other characteristics of our great God. Here are two verses that show us that. Here's that word again. But God, you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and in truth. We find that in Psalm 86, verse 15. We read that earlier today. But you, O Lord, he says several, several attributes, and then it says long-suffering abundant in mercy and truth. And then again over in Psalm 103, verse eight, also read this morning, but listen again. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. David is familiar with and confident in the fact that God is patient among all of his other attributes, such as graciousness and full of mercy. All of these attributes are often tied together. They're part of his faithfulness to the covenant he embarked upon with Abraham and his descendants. We read often how God is described and how he is patient and long-suffering and gracious and merciful and full of love. You know what? I think in order to be patient, we have to try to be incorporating those other attributes into our life as well. When we're, when we're loving and when we're being merciful and when we're being gracious and all of those other attributes, we are more likely to be patient than if we're not demonstrating those attributes. Remember the time when, when God in, in, in Numbers and again in Exodus described himself to Moses? We'll look at that in a little bit. But one of the characteristics he said was that he himself saw himself as a patient God. Well, let's move on. Let's see that God is patient. Um, God's patient kindness is meant to lead to salvation. Why is God patient? He's not patient just because he wants to be patient and, and give everybody a break. He's patient because he wants people to come to know Jesus as their Savior. Here's something comforting to think about. God is certainly patient has been patient with you and I, perhaps, um, when, when it comes to people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. Think about this. How many times did someone communicate the gospel to you before you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? How many times did it take for somebody to share the truth with you before you accepted Christ as Savior? I had a friend in high school that I shared the gospel with many times. 
Problem was, he was a pretty good guy. He didn't really get in that much trouble. He was a Roman Catholic by religion, but he wasn't saved. And every time I shared the gospel with him, he thought he was good enough. And he really wasn't that bad. Come on, Tim, I'm not that bad. I don't go out and party every weekend, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. I was praying for a salvation. People in our church were praying for a salvation. I would share the gospel with him as often as I could. One day, we were out. You'll laugh at this. We were playing horseshoes. Yes, in high school, my friends and I played horseshoes. Really am old. Well, it was old then too, but my grandfather loved horseshoes. And if I wanted to spend time with my grandfather, I learned to play horseshoes. Okay? So I taught Tom how to play horseshoes. And most sports, we were pretty equally matched. But because he was new at horseshoes, it was easy for me to beat him in horseshoes. So one day, we're, we're you know, we're at the pits, which was at my grandfather's, and, and I was getting ready to throw my shoe. And, and I patterned my, my throwing after my grandfather because he was really good, okay? So I'm like lining it up, uh, have my horseshoe turned just a little bit uh, like grandpa did, and I was ready to throw my shoe, and I was just about like this, and Tom said, hey, Tim, I got saved last night. And I did, you did What? And as I threw my shoe, it like went halfway down the, 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 the pit. I was like, did you say that just to mess up my throw? No, I meant it. I said, well, tell me what you did. He said, well, I, I, I prayed and I confessed my sins and I, and I asked Jesus to be my savior and to forgive me of my sins. Well, that was the end of the horseshoe game. I said, we got to go tell people. So we went, we told my mom, and we called people on the phone, and we were excited. But you know what? It took, I can't even tell you how many times I shared the gospel with Tom before he came to know Jesus as his Savior. It wasn't because he was trying to throw me off my game. It was a genuine confession of faith. And you know what? The angels in heaven were rejoicing over that lost soul who came to know Jesus as a Savior at that moment. And praise God for the fact that he doesn't give up on us after the first time somebody shares the gospel. Sometimes it takes countless times. How many times have you shared the gospel with a loved one? How many times have you shared the gospel with a coworker? I know we have people sitting in this room this morning that have shared with us and asked us to pray for people that they have shared the gospel with countless numbers of times. And they're still praying for God to bring them to salvation. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep praying because God is patient when it comes to individuals coming to know Jesus as their Savior. This is clearly seen in Scripture. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes this. He says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to what? Leads to repentance. Hallelujah! That God would be patient in, in bringing people to salvation. Peter agrees with Paul when he talks about why Jesus has not come back yet. And he says this, and saying, where is, there prom, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Peter's answering a situation here where um, his, his, the re- people that he's writing to have been confronted with unbelievers naysayers who say, yeah, you believe the Bible, but look, things haven't changed since the beginning of creation. God says he's coming back. He hasn't come back yet. You keep telling us he's coming back. Why hasn't he proven his promises? (laughs) That's verse four, really. Uh, They're arguing that Jesus hasn't come back, so he's probably not coming back, and what you believe is not true. Well, Peter has an answer for them. In verse 80, he says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing. This is a verse that we we often use and not always in context. Beloved, remember this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So if you're going to hold Jesus to his promises or God to his promises, realize that with God there's no timetable. 
A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. So if Jesus made a promise a thousand years ago to him, it's only been a day since he made the promise. That kind of thing. He goes on to say in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering, slow to boil toward us. Why is he that way? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How amazing is that? The only thing that prevents Jesus from coming back is that God is willing to wait for more people to come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. Can we all say thank you, Jesus, for that? For his patience, for his willingness to wait? That means that all those people we are praying for and hoping that will soon trust Jesus as their Savior, they still have hope. Hallelujah! For the hope that we have as we continue to share the gospel and we do it numerous times to the same people. I don't know if you listen to Christian radio or not, but there's a good song out there right now. And I, I, we were driving to an NLT meeting yesterday up in Horseheads and I was trying to listen to this song and Siri kept interrupting me with directions on where to go. And I knew where I was going. And in, a, in a mile, stay in the right lane. Shush, I'm trying to listen to this song. I wasn't patient with Siri yesterday. Shame on me. But anyway, listen to these words of this song. It's by Zach Williams called Rescue Story. There I was, empty-handed, crying out from the pit of my despair. There you were in the shadows, holding out your hand. You met me there. And now where would I be without you? Where would I be? Jesus. You were the voice in the desert calling me out in the dead of night, fighting my battles for me. You are my rescue story. Lifted me up from the ashes, carried my soul from the death to life, bringing me from glory to glory. You are my rescue story. You are my rescue story. You are writing the pages before I had a name, before I needed grace. Oh, singing songs of redemption caused every, every time I ran away. Did you get that? Every time I ran away, multiple times he ran away. You were louder than my shame. And now, where would I be without you? Where would I be, Jesus? You were the voice in the desert calling me out in the dead of night, fighting my battles for me. You are my rescue story. Lifted me up from the ashes, carried my soul from death to life, bringing me from glory to glory. You are my rescue story. Here it is. You never gave up on me. You never gave up on me. You are my testimony, oh Lord. You never gave up on me. You never gave up on me. Oh, you never gave up on me. Oh, this is my testimony. How many times has God knocked on the door of your heart before you knew him as your savior? How many times is he knocking on the door of the heart of those that you are sharing the gospel with? And you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Don't give up because God will be the testimony, the voice in the desert, the one calling out in the dead of night. He's the only one who can lift us from the ashes and bring us from glory to glory. He is our rescue story. If you're here this morning, can I ask you a question? Do you have a rescue story? Has God rescued you from the ashes? Has he lifted you up out of the place of despair? If you're here this morning and you're still in the desert night, we'd love to share with you the rescue story. Well, let's keep moving because we need to. Even unbelievers share in God's patience. Even unbelievers share in God's patience. It just keeps getting more and more amazing the more we learn about our great God. You see, God is not only patient with his followers, those of us who are part of his family, but he's also patient with those who are not following him or even part of his family yet. 
Paul speaks of that in the great book of Romans. Uh, go to Romans chapter 9 with me. I want you to turn there because this is a difficult passage. We're not going to spend a lot of time here this morning, but we are going to try and make it a little clearer than what it might be for you right now. Or you might say, Pastor, I haven't read that verse in a long time or that passage in a long time. But, but it's a tough passage, and, and we want to try and bring some clarity to it as we talk about the patience of God. Romans chapter 9. We're going to start with verse 22. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles." So as we think about this challenging verse, and maybe you haven't thought about it, and maybe I'm going to introduce something to you that might be a little more um, deeper than you care to go on a Sunday morning, but wade through it with me, if you will. Um, The challenging part of the verse is in that last phrase of verse 22, where it says, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Now, if you read that verse, some would suggest that God appointed some people to destruction, And it's compounded with the problem that verse 23 says that some were prepared beforehand for glory. In our minds, we would say, what's going on? God then chose some people to go to hell, and he chose some people to go to heaven? How do we reconcile that? That doesn't sound like God. Are you ready for a big word, a new big word? This word in theology is called, well, let me give you the the easy part, double predestination. Okay, Or... If you want the big word, it's supralapsarianism. What in the world, Pastor? Well, it means some people believe that God predestined people to go to hell, and he predestined other people to go to heaven. That's not accurate. That's not true. What this really means is that God loves his people. He's patient with mankind, that mankind might come to know Jesus as their Savior. Let me start by saying that this idea of double predestination has confused a lot of people. And like I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but let me tell you what the Nelson Study Bible says. It's very helpful. You'll appreciate this. The grammatical structure of the first prepared that we read in the text, where it says he prepared them for destruction, and the first part of that text, that word prepared there, it's different from the word, second word prepared. So we have two words prepared. One is uh, means to, to prepare like we might think of normal preparation, and that's the second one. But the first one literally means prepared themselves for destruction. God didn't prepare them for destruction. They prepared themselves for destruction. The second one, which he prepared, um, is is the idea of God preparing them for for glory, for heaven, for salvation. If we are doomed, this Nelson Study Bible goes on to say, it is because of our rejection of God. If we are redeemed, it is because of the grace of God. The question is not, why are some saved and some condemned? Everyone deserves condemnation. It's only by God's grace that anyone is saved. So those who are prepared for destruction, they have chosen that path by rejecting the revelation of God that has been presented to them. Some of that revelation is presented simply in creation. When you look around and you see the wonders and the magnificence of creation, in your heart and even in your mind, you know something far greater than you created this amazing earth, this world that we live in, this whole, this whole makeup, the earth, the skies, the heavens, and how it all just seamlessly rolls along. And we, it's so seamless that we take it for granted. Every morning we wake up and guess what? The sun rises. Every evening the sun sets. The tides roll in and they go out. Rain comes and summer comes and harvest comes. Pastor, don't get to the harvest. We haven't even enjoyed summer yet. 
But you see, God has it all planned out. It's all figured out. And he makes it happen. And to look at this and say, oh, it just happened. It's just a fluke of nature. That's a rejection of the revelation of God. That's going against even your conscience. Because God created mankind with a need that that can only be met by a relationship with him. Now, don't get me wrong. People try to fill that need with so many other things. Drugs, alcohol, work, uh, hobbies, sports, whatever. People try to fill that need with so many other things, and they always come up short. Why? Because there's only one thing that will fill that need, and that's a relationship with God. And God is patient, and God is revealing himself through creation. But when a person says, no, I don't believe, I, I choose to believe evolution, evolution as I call it, It's not an alternate option. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And to choose that and to believe that is to reject the word of God that says, in six days God created the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. You are rejecting the revelation of God. And let's not forget those who, in their attempt to appease the world and still call themselves Christians, have come up with with religious alternatives, like the day-age theory, or the gap theory. There's so many theories that are out there that are not what the Bible says. We must believe the Word of God. And we must let the Word of God direct our lives. When we reject the Word of God, whether it's somebody sharing the gospel with another person, they say, oh, you're nuts. One man died for me. Why would one man, why would one person die for the whole world? And how in the world can one person dying for the world be sufficient anyway? Well, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll figure that one out. But you see, when a person rejects God, they choose their condemnation. They choose to be separated from God. That doesn't mean that that's the end. It means that that's enough to be the end for them. But it doesn't mean that God is never going to give them another chance. And it doesn't mean that you should never share the gospel with them again. Because you don't know the mind of God. You don't know the heart of God. And, and you don't know what's going on in that person's life. And you just need to keep living Christ before them. And sharing the good news with them. And praying for them that God would open their heart and their head to the understanding of who Jesus is. That's what we do. Everyone deserves condemnation. Only those who are the recipients of God's grace, are saved. And we don't know who those recipients are, so we tell everybody, right? We share the good news with everyone. Well, now that we've cleared up, I hope, prevented any confusion about Romans, um, what is God's patience towards unbelievers? We see it again in verse 22. What if God, wanting to show his wrath to make his power known, and he does, he will do that, he will pour out his wrath, and everybody will say, wow, a powerful God. He will do that at some point, but he is now enduring with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. So those who were prepared for destruction or those who chose destruction for themselves by refusing to accept the gift of salvation have experienced the patience of God. And you know what? During God's patience, they may come to know Jesus as their Savior. God's patiently enduring their antagonism toward him. Because those people who we've shared the gospel with or or, or refuse to believe the the presentation of the gospel, most of them turn out being antagonistic towards God. They laugh at him. You believe that? How can that be? You must must be really weak in your your convictions if if you believe that's true. I don't need God. God's a crutch. That's that's the antagonism that people demonstrate towards God when they reject the presentation of the gospel. God has patiently endured their antagonism. And unfortunately, if they continue to reject the good news of Jesus Christ, judgment is coming. Some are prepared by God for everlasting life. You and I. We praise him for that. Some prepare themselves for everlasting judgment by rejecting the great news, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
They're prepared for eternal judgment, not because God delights in sending them to hell, because he doesn't. In fact, Peter says, God is not willing that any should perish, but desires that all would come to repentance. God will exhibit his wrath, but right now, he's patiently holding that back so that you and I have the opportunity to communicate the good news to more and more people. And when the last person that God has ordained to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, trusts him as Lord and Savior, oh man, the best music ever is going to unfold. The trumpet is going to sound, and the rapture is going to happen. But until then, as Peter says, God is being so very patient. The patience of God is truly a blessing, not only for us that believe, but even for those who do not believe. So as we conclude this morning, let me remind you that God is patient, and we should be patient as God is patient. But there's one more reminder for us this morning. It's a reminder from Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. He says this, However, for this reason... I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. I actually like the way the ESV translates this verse, so let me read it for you in that translation. Paul says, But I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, the foremost sinner, because in verse 15 he called himself the chiefest of sinners, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul is saying here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, God is displaying his perfect patience in me as a child of God, one who has been redeemed, reconciled, brought back out of the slave market of sin. He is showing his perfect patience as an example to those who do not yet know Jesus Christ as their Savior, but if they believe on him, would experience and know eternal life. Can I say that we should be like Paul? And that we should be willing to let God use us as a perfect example of his patience to others as we communicate Christ to them. Paul knew that he was the chiefest of sinners and that since God saved him, God could use his testimony of God's patience toward others and others would come to know Jesus as their Savior. People say to me, Pastor, why do you make people give their testimony before getting baptized? Pastor, why do you make people give their testimony before joining the church? Because God wants to use you as a perfect example of his patience to others. I know of individuals who have shared their testimony in a church setting for baptism or membership, and as a result of that testimony, others have come forward and said, I want to trust Jesus. If God can do that in their life, he can do similar in my life. That's why we share testimonies. Not because we want you to stand up here with your knees knocking and being afraid to stand in front of others. We've come up with ways to take care of that. We'll record your testimony and then we'll broadcast it over the screens. If, you're, if, you, if you really are, are that afraid to share your testimony live. But you know what? God wants to use you as a testimony of what he does in the lives of mankind. If God can use Paul, he can use us in the same way. You see, the patience of God is seen through the transformation of our lives. And if God can transform my life and your life, he can transform the lives of others, and then his perfect patience is on display yet again. Can we bow our heads this morning and and just talk to God for a moment? Can we close by asking God to bring that to pass in our lives, that God would use our testimony as we share that with others to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Our gracious Father, we come before you today and we thank you for your patience. We know that you were patient with us Most of us heard the gospel more than once. 
before we responded to it. And so we say thank you for patience in our lives personally. We've experienced that. And now, Father, we want to ask you this morning that you would help us to be individuals that will allow you to use us to communicate your love for others and to others. Father, we know that there are people that we interact with sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes family members that we don't see for a while and then we see them again, sometimes family members that we spend a lot of time with that are not yet part of your family, have not yet responded to the gospel message. We thank you for, their, for, for your patience in their lives. But we want to ask you this morning, Father, that you would help us to be patient as well. Not to just sit back and wait for them to respond, but to take opportunities to share the gospel again with them and trusting you to do a work in their heart, to do a work in their life, to help them understand that, yes, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that they should put their faith and trust in you. Remove the barriers, whatever they might be, from them coming to faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross of Calvary. Perhaps, Father, you'll bring us across the paths of some this week who we, don't know, we do not know and we've never shared the gospel with, but maybe somebody else has, and as we share it with them again, that might be the time that they respond to the good news. Now, Father, again, we want to thank you for your patience. We know that in many areas of life, we need to be more patient. But the most important area of patience is to patiently communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to those who need to hear it. Make us bold to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark's going to come and lead us in our...